Hey, before we get started, I want to talk about passion for a second. Yeah. So we just released Passion and Purpose. And I think after we listened to that, we realized that we might have come across as dream crushers. And that was not our intention. And we just want to go on the record before we even move past this. We want to go on the record and say, you know, if you want to chase your passion, chase your passion. It works out for a lot of people. But if if your passion doesn't work out, it doesn't mean your life is over. And if you don't follow your passion occupationally, it doesn't mean you're a sellout. So just try to weave your passion into your life in one way or the other. And, and don't fall into a state of despair if you're unable to perfectly align your passion with your occupation. Who is your favorite band? Now imagine that group is performing a live show. You're there, in the audience, singing along. Everyone is singing. The energy in the room is electric. You can feel it. What is that feeling? And why is it so different when it's live? Today, we discuss the powerful energy created when we're all together for an event in person. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the KL Podcast. We are thrilled to have you back with us today. And speaking of being back together, we uh, we just got an announcement that our offices are opening back up in September. But yeah. in September, they're opening back up. <laughs> and we'll have the chance to come and get back together with our uh, our staff, our employees, our leaders, each other. It's going to be really, really exciting. And it makes me think about this term that we've been, we, that we were reading about the other day, this term collective effervescence. It makes me think, are we going to be better when we're back together or, or not? Are we good as a virtual workforce or do we need to be back in the same building together? Maybe we should yeah. start first by defining what collective effervescence is. Tim, you want to walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a concept developed by the father of sociology, Emil Durkheim. And it describes the sense of energy and harmony that people feel when they come together in a group around a shared purpose. So in a non-work example, you know, you think about a sporting event yeah. or a concert. Those mm -hmm. are the two that come to mind just right off the bat. I, I read a less scientific definition that said it's that glowy, giddy feeling where your sense of self slackens and yields to a connection with your fellow synchronized humans. I like that. <laughs> I like that, actually. It's awesome. Yeah, man. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I tell you, I tell you guys in the article that we read, you know, by Adam Grant, it, it opened up with, you know, the Foo Fighters opening Madison Square Garden back up and how Dave Chappelle came on stage to sing. Yeah. Have y'all seen that video? I, I haven't. It. I haven't, but yeah. I can imagine it in my head. I can hear oh, him so singing Creek. It is. It is. And it's like they said, nobody cared that he was off tune. It was just something that they could all have an, or share together. And it, it erupted. And it's it's true. I mean, you can be, it's euphoric almost to be in a situation like that of 
collective effervescence. Yeah. yeah. So I, I wasn't familiar with that term, but I have certainly experienced it before. When you are reading that, when you're reading collective effervescence and the definition, what were in, in your life, what were the moments or experiences that immediately came to mind? Henry? Well, I mean, I mean, they kind of already teed it up in my brain when, when they were talking about the concert. But specifically, I, I mean, I'll give you one, an example that came from just a couple of weeks ago. And a friend of ours had some musicians uh, and, and at his house. He had this uh, female Elvis impersonator and, uh, and she was incredible. And there were about 30 of us there. And we were in the back patio, which wasn't very big. And everybody was dancing. And, and in Nashville, Tennessee, you don't dance when bands play. You sit there and you judge everybody in the band because everybody in the audience <laughs> that is true. Musician, you know, been. you just judge them. Nobody was judging because everyone was so happy to be together and you just got caught up in the moment. And it was kitschy. Yeah. It was Elvis impersonation by a female, and it was so much fun. We were all in the same page, and we didn't know each other, but we had we knew the moment. We were all connected in that moment. It was so much fun. My son yeah. was with me. I mean, he was having a blast. Teenagers. Imagine it. Yeah, I love it. What about, what about you, Josh? You? Anything come to mind? Yeah, it's a, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, what you mentioned, of course, concerts. But, you know, for me, it's sporting events when it's it's going down to the wire, fourth quarter, and it's, it's a home crowd, and yeah. everybody's going. It's a nail-biter. It's a nail-biter. And especially if your team comes out on top, I mean, you could hug everybody, and all 100,000 in that stadium, you're ready to give them a hug, and you're going nuts, right? I mean, you guys are just in unison. Yeah, it's so good. Going for the same cause. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, two things came to mind. Of course, I thought about sporting events, but I didn't think about anything specifically. But there's two specific instances that I thought about. So one was, and I'll be brief about this, but one was a concert. And they kind of led us to that, right? We're yeah. talking about the concert. But one was the concert that my daughter and I went to probably five years ago in Chicago. I was on a business trip. And then Coldplay was playing at Soldier Field. And I was thinking that's like such a special night. And, you know, Coldplay is not my favorite band ever. It's not like I'm some kind of Coldplay fanboy. I do like their music, but I have thought about what made that night so special. And so this is it. And it, it talks about collective effervescence and everybody's in the same spot, experiencing the same thing. So we get to the concert and it starts raining and they delay the concert. So much so that they canceled the opening act. And then they everybody's just standing there in ponchos and it's rain, pouring rain. And then they're then they say, Coldplay's gonna come out and play for one hour. We have a break in the weather. And so they just came out and just like immediately went into it. And I mean, it was dark, everybody was singing, it was raining on us. We we're all experiencing the rain. It was there was like so many things that everybody was experiencing at once. Yeah. And it was electric. It was absolutely electric. And then when they finished, everybody exited the stadium still singing. I mean, it was, and it's goosebumps, man. But the other thing that I thought about was my family and I go to the state park in Texas every August. We're going here in three or four weeks. And, you know, it's a river. You swim all day. But at night, they have a dance at the park. And, you know, it's it's just a dance. I mean, you know, everybody gets there and it's a lot of country music, but that 
that is collective effervescence, but specifically they have like three or four songs where for lack of a better word, there's group dances. It's not really line dances, but it's like, if you've been there before, you know, the dance, you know, the dances. Yeah. So, I mean, the songs are <laughs> whip it by Devo. <laughs> I mean, there is like a synchronized dance. I need to go. I need to see this. There's 200 people doing it. It yeah. is nuts. And then rock and Robin by Jackson five. They do bunny hop. Oh yeah. my God. I mean, this thing, like when that, when those songs come on, those three, 400 people go crazy, man. I mean, they go nuts. And if you haven't been there, you're like, what is going on? If you're like a first timer <laughs> yeah. and you're like, how do these people know this dance? But <laughs> they've been coming to the park for 20 years. It is, it's once again, it's electric. And those are the things that just popped into my head. It's good do stuff. You, do you think that, that your affinity and your love for those moments and those memories was in did that increase because things like that disappeared or did, or were they just always like that? And it, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't get better or worse because, because of the pandemic. Well, I wouldn't say my love for it increased, but I would say my appreciation increased. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, enjoyed them before a lot, but the pandemic made me appreciate them, made me look back and say, man, that's so special being in a group of people like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and how do we, I mean, this is a leadership podcast. We're talking about professional leadership. How do we take this same idea of collective effervescence and then let's, let's apply it to the workplace. I mean, you know, not every day at work is, is a concert or line dancing, you know, it's not the fourth quarter, but is it the same for our staff whenever you're at the end of the quarter and, you got to close that big deal in order to hit the number and everybody's working hard and working late. Is it the same when we're all at home as, as it was when we were all in the office together? No, I don't think yeah. so. That's a good it's question. I don't think so. You know, I, I think in, I'm kind of going off the tracks here, but we didn't cover any of this, but I wonder if generationally, if it's different too, you know, because I think I do think younger generations are more used to connecting virtually than in person. So I don't maybe, think they are, Josh. I don't. Maybe I'm not. Stop you right I, there. They're not. Okay. They're not. I mean, we're yeah, seeing the younger people have with a higher turnover than than people our age. Hmm. They thought they were going to get into something different. Every single human is craving for real human contact. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I believe we're just that. old and slow. We don't. We're like, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, but the yo younger people, like, it's got to be better than this. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you yeah. asked the question earlier. Can we do good work both ways? And and I think we can. You know, but the way I I formulated it in my mind, I think we can do good work still remote, but I don't think that we can do our greatest work without you know, having some collective effervescence or being in the office and kind of feeding off of each other and learning off of each other. And you just can't replicate that. When I talk about work stories, of, you know, things that we've done as a group, I don't really talk a lot about the, the virtual events that we've had. I talk about <laughs> the, the in-person events. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I was like, oh man, yeah, we had this amazing virtual event and we've had some really good ones. We've had some really yeah. interesting and yeah. fun virtual events but yeah. none of them are even in the same ballpark <laughs> as, as the other even average events that we had in person. Yeah. I yeah. mean, when you're you know, we always, you know, we always say, Henry, that? we don't say that was a great event. We say 
that was a great event considering it was virtual (laughs) that's what we say it's true it's true that's what we say we've had these mentalist people come in on these calls and do these mind-blowing tricks and all that kind of stuff and it's so wild but i would give anything just to have our vp standing in front of the room getting everybody all pumped up and then one of our vendors coming in and like like throwing gift cards out it doesn't have i mean like that moment (laughs) is is kind of goofy but it's so much fun when you're all in the room right. together. If, you, if you're not having fun, you're not having fun as a group. Yeah. If you're having yeah. a blast, you're having a blast as a group. It's the group that collective effervescence is yeah. real. And it exists in the workplace just like it does in the, in the crowd. And I think when you're in a collect, collectively in a room or in a group like that, you, you kind of leave your troubles behind as well. And it's hard to do that. I think when you're still in the same place, right? You're at home yeah. and, and you kind of carry the burdens of the day with you still. And so I think it's 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 layered. I think there's a lot of pieces to it. But as somebody who's organized a lot of those virtual events, I uh, I appreciate the effort that goes behind them. But <laughs> there's I tons am, of work. Yeah, I'm certainly ready to sweep them under the rug and get to some in-person events. <laughs> yeah, I think Henry hit the nail on the head though when he said it's human nature when we talk about collective effervescence that we like togetherness. And I thought this piece was really interesting from from Emil Durkheim's writing and you know I can't count on either one of you to read the elementary forms of religious life that he wrote in 1912 so I'll bring I'll bring that into play right now but it is interesting and I think it relates to work honestly if you just bear with me so he argues that there are profane and sacred results from the lives of tribe members. And he's studying uh, tribes in, in Australia. Most of their life is spent performing menial tasks such as hunting and gathering, and these tasks are profane. The rare occasions in which the entire tribe gathers together become sacred, and there's a high energy level associated with these events. And, you know, when I'm reading menial tasks, (laughs) I, I, we all have them, man. We do them every single day. Long lists. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we're all together, you know, I never thought of it as being sacred or tribal, but there is real community spirit. There is an energy that comes out of those people being synchronized in the same spot. Well, you know, and, and when you're all together, if you have a hundred people come together in a room, they're no longer a hundred people. There's like an X multiplier there that makes them greater than the count of the people in that room. And the energy that you feel from the people around you, the, the temperature change in the room, the volume of it all, it's something that is hard to explain, but you know it when you feel it. And then when you do that same event with a hundred people on a Zoom call, it's either me hearing myself in an empty room and a bunch of noise coming through tiny little speakers on my computer, or I'm not really even engaged anyway. And it's just background sounds, but you, you miss all those other sensations that get tapped into. And I love the idea of tribal because, you know, we have all these tribal monikers, each one of us do. And they're there. There's, you know, for us, it's, we're men, we're fathers, we're leaders, we're, uh, we, we, we're on a team, we're coaches, we're teachers, 
we're a physical therapist. So, you know, we're all these different, whatever, whatever your tribal monikers are, you, so you let, you can overlay into all these groups, but whenever you get together with them, you get stronger in that group. So just like it feels different when you're all together, you're also stronger when you're all together. And we don't have that right now. Right. And, uh, and when, whenever the, the, the note went out about the offices opening back up and people said, I don't know if I'm going to go back in. I said, I understand not wanting to make that change. But I would really encourage you to go in and just see what it feels like again. Right. No, you don't want to make the drive. No, you don't want to have to deal with the constant interruptions. But would the value that you get be greater than all those little minor moments? Right. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's just an adjustment change again. I mean, we've been doing this long enough that it's become somewhat of our normal. And it's, it's tough to switch back into it, I think, for people to, you know, make that switch in their heads. But I'll share something with you guys, kind of going along that, those lines, which you shared, Tim, about it being sacred, uh, being together. Um, you, both of you guys know I'm, I'm actively interviewing for a position right now. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it's as I'm going through the process in my head, and we'll probably have a conversation about this later because I've been going through far too many interviews for this I position. Can't. I can't wait. <laughs> That's a whole nother conversation. But I, I have to be honest with you guys, because if I do get this role, I, it will likely become, I'll likely grab it before our offices open back up. And, and one of the things that I'm having to process emotionally is it's going to be really sad for me that things are opening back up in our offices and I won't be able to travel and go see the people that I'm used to seeing or that I get that collective effervescence from yeah and seeing and genuinely like i i'm having to i don't even have the job yet i don't know if i'm going to get it but that's one of the emotional aspects i'm having to process right now is that is really going to suck for me if the last time i saw these people is a year and a half ago and now i'm moving into something else okay let me throw this out there you guys real quick is collective effervescence unique to extroverts no no I don't think so. And I, I don't think I would be so definitive about that, except that in his, in Amel's research, clearly he's the father of sociology. So who am I to argue with him? Keep saying that <laughs> the father of sociology. There can only be one. In <laughs> like, uh, he's, he's the highlander. I want to be the father of something. <laughs> if we're co-parenting KL. I guess that's something. I don't know. I don't know. I want to be the father. I want Tim Carger, the father of something. Like that's how I want to be. That's how I want to be remembered in the annals of history. So. That's right. Yeah, we'll do a Mad Lib. The father anyway. of modern blank. We'll all let yeah. So, supposedly, introverts are affected by the lack of collective effervescence just as much or more than extroverts. You know, in my experience, you know, in my experience, the extroverts have have felt it worse. I mean, the people, just the people that I know. Um, but I do, I have had quite a few conversations with people who say, you know, I was an introvert and I thought I was built for this pandemic and I am really ready to be around some people. So I do think maybe some introverts were surprised that they missed people so much. Yeah. I, I, I think that uh, it does affect both the same and, and my theory on it as the father of modern introverts, um, my theory, <laughs> my theory is that extroverts have extroverts have this wide range of stimulation. 
all these things are exciting for extroverts. Like they can, they can find that moment anywhere. Turn the music up loud. Ah, I love it. You know, it's great. Introverts probably have a shorter, very specific list of the things that they, that they're like, these are the things I'm into. Right. And when everything gets locked down, none of the that things on that short list are available. And what is available might not be the thing. Well, assuming none of them are available, what is available might not turn them on. And for an extrovert, they're like, I'm going to go for a walk in the park. I'm going to see all the birds. I'm going to see, I'm going to pass by people. I might get on my bike. I mean, they're just a mile a minute finding a new thing to do. The introverts are like, the most important thing in my life no longer exists. What do I do? Yeah. And let me tell you guys a story real quick. I took my two girls to a soccer game. My youngest was just dragging her feet, kicking and screaming the whole way. Of course, she's 16. She wasn't literally kicking. She did not want to go. She's a super introvert. She's like, this is not for me. We convinced her to come. Within the first three minutes of the game, she was standing up cheering and screaming because she enjoyed the event. Yeah. She was, she was yeah. super into what was happening. She liked the crowd. She felt comfortable in the scene. And she hadn't been to a big public event in a year and a half. And I yeah. think that I think that that she missed it as much as an extrovert would miss it. Yeah. And she yeah. said, I, I want to go to every soccer game now. She has no yeah. idea what's happening out there, but she was <laughs> loving the whole event. It's so interesting you say that, Henry, because I actually had that jotted down to talk about because I was thinking about the collective effervescence events that I've experienced since we've kind of come out of the pandemic. And, you know, Austin has a professional soccer team now. And so we've gone to some of the games and they are just apps. The atmosphere is electric. I mean, it is electric. And when I was reading through all this material, I was like, why is the atmosphere electric? The team is terrible. I mean, they're absolutely horrible. They get destroyed every single game. I mean, they're bad. They're bad. And so then it occurred to me when I'm reading this, I'm like, is the intensity just heightened because we haven't had this in so long, you know? And then I started thinking back to, you know, and this is not me saying that the issues, you know, weren't heavy or worthy of intense protest. But I think about the intensity of the protests during pandemic. I think about the intensity of political rallies during the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, was, you know, it's subjective, but was the intensity of those those events heightened because of the pandemic? You know, is is this soccer, you know, hooliganism in Austin right now? Is that just fueled <laughs> because we're starved for collective effervescence yeah. or is there actually something to it? I don't know. And then I go to when we get back in the office. Is it going to be super intense in there and like next level intensity yeah. um, because we haven't worked together in a while? I mean, that's a question that I'm interested in, interesting. in seeing the answer to. I think that the executive leadership team is probably worried about how excited people are going to be together. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask this. I mean, I, I think the intensity level is going to be higher. Do we think that's going to cause problems or do we think everybody's going to be so happy to see each other that? there's going to be just forgiveness because I don't really care what you just did. I'm just happy to see you. How do we think that's going to go as far as interpersonal relationships? I think people are going to be thrilled to be with each other. And I get, yeah. a, I get an early look at this because um, 
we we bought 800 tickets to the minor league baseball game and told people that they could bring their families we're going to have a we're going to have a company night at the game and within an hour all 800 tickets were gone and people are still asking for tickets so we'll get a chance to see how people are going to act when they're all together here in just uh in about two weeks i can't wait to report back on that but i have a feeling it's going to be hugs and high fives and nobody's going to be watching the game and everybody's going to be catching up yeah i, I mean yeah. i'll tell you I'm, I'm excited for it and i don't know that i label myself a complete introvert i think i index towards being introvert for sure um but you know if i go back and kind of audit the past year for myself i don't think i've been my best self as a result of not having that interaction with people and you know learning and being sharpened by other people and you know having that human that human interaction so yeah for me as someone who indexes the introvert for sure it, it's it's a game changer for me yeah let's talk for a second about emotions are like contagious diseases i was that's a that is a direct quote from Adam Grant's article in the New York Times. What do you guys think about that? I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, Tim. A I am too. Believer. I, I think that you can infect a room with one bad attitude and, and it spreads like wildfire. And, and it takes intent for, to kind of flip the switch on that. Someone's got to intentionally like override that, that negative emotion to, to push life back into the room. And I think that's true about family. I think that's true about friends. And I think it's true about work. Yeah. I, I think that, th that that negative attitude becoming the dominant attitude in the room is not the work of one person. It's, it's other people ceding their emotional ground to the negative attitude, because if they're willing to stand up for the positive side of it, they can flip the script on it. And, you know, I've seen plenty of occasions where people are positive and somebody negative comes in and they just, you know, stop it. They shut it down. No, that's not how we're going to operate here. Yeah. But I think it's important to call out to Henry that it takes that dominant personality. It sure to inter does. To interject because there could be 10 positive people, has passive positive people in the room, but one dominant negative, And that's going to be a negative room. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. the other people will, will, will. You know, they're like, I'm just, I want to go with the crowd. I'm positive. I don't want to create any problems. Yeah. You know, and the other people are like, I don't love it, but I'm not going to push back on it. They're the, right. they're your passive negative people. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a friend, his name is Jeremy. And uh, he is that guy who, who says hello to every single person he passes in such a way that he elicits a response every single time from these people. And being around him, I realized I do. I'm doing it too. When I'm around him, I don't, you know, I'm normally kind of just to myself in that, in that, in that regard. But when I'm with him, like I become like extra bubbly, which is kind of funny, but yeah. uh, I mean, th that's just how it is with him. And then there are other people who I know who are really quiet when I'm with them. Sometimes I'll become really quiet as well. And it, you know, if, if I'm not feeling like I want to exert my dominant personality at that moment. Yeah. Yeah, there's another line in there that said, Josh brought this up earlier. Uh, I had it highlighted as well as a powerful piece. It said, the reality is that emotions are inherently social. They're woven through our interactions. And, you know, you're talking, Henry, about how your friends influence you. But it's also important for us to realize how we influence other people. 
and you know what we exude and how that can be contagious as well especially from a leadership position i mean you can you know we've all seen leaders that can to a large degree dictate the emotional culture of their teams and we have to be aware of that as leaders yep absolutely i mean i can i can think in my mind of exact times when i've walked out of my office at the house and i'm pissed off because something you know, didn't go, either didn't go my way or is that virtual didn't, didn't, event didn't go very well. <laughs> <Exactly>. my, <laughs> my charcuterie board was all messed up and it just, pissed me off. <laughs> no, I mean, I've walked out of my office and I am projecting that I am pissed off and I'm projecting that I'm in a bad mood and the entire mood of my house will drop. Yeah. Right. Because somebody's mad. And it's obvious. And, and it's the same way with work. And it's the same way with friends. And, you know, we were talking earlier, I, I genuinely believe that's the flip side of emotional intelligence, right? Because I think we, we, when we think of that, we think of reading other people and being able to meet them at their point of need and reading their emotions. But we have, as leaders, we have to be conscious of what we're projecting, because there is a flip side to that coin. Yeah, so true. So true. So Henry, talk us through the you know, kind of the article that was linked in here about languishing. Unfortunately, I'm unable to speak to it because I've read too many New York Times articles this year and they locked me out and demanded a dollar. I didn't, I did not get locked out of the 1912 volume of elementary forms of religious life, but the New York Times locked me out of this article, but it looked very interesting on like the you know, the, the 18 words that they would let me read before they blocked it. That, that religious life article was just thrilled that someone was clicking on it. So yeah, they were more than happy <laughs> to read it. Yeah. So, so uh, Adam Grant also, he references an article that he had written uh, back in April and, and the article is about languishing and he's talking about languishing as being the predominant feeling that will, that, that may weave its way through 2021. What's interesting about languishing just to define it quickly uh, he says it's a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as though you're muddling through your days, like you're looking at life through a foggy windshield. And he talks about it, you know, in terms of it's not it's not necessarily depression. It's just he says it's like the neglected middle child of of mental health. It's that void between depression and flourishing. And flourishing is where you. I mean, that's that's the ideal state of well being. But this is like the languishing is like the absence of well-being. Languishing is when you're laying in bed in the morning and you can't quite get motivated to get up, but you are motivated to be on your phone and scroll through social media. You don't feel bad about what everybody else is doing and you're not doing. You just don't feel like doing anything yourself. Yeah. And languishing, yeah. I think, is one of these things that occurs for a number of people when that social construct, that physical social togetherness hasn't existed for so long that they've kind of lost, they've lost their sense of direction. They don't know where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. They're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. It's like you lost yeah. that unintentional structure. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. 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 Is languishing like the Ivy League way to say vegging out? <laughs> <laughs> I think vegging out is what you do. Languishing yeah. is what happens to you. Because it is, if it is... I'm definitely going to start using that around the house. Don't no, no, just, languishing is not. I'm good. just going to languish out, for a while. I think, I think vegging out, out is like is like a, the American version of what the Danish would say is like an intentional. Uh, you know, like whenever you say I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to sit and think. Languishing doesn't even include the thinking part. Yeah, it's not okay. relaxing or. That's what I was going to say. I think vegging like out is intentional. 
Yeah. <laughs> Vegging yeah. out is like laying on a on a on on a float in the pool. Languishing is like being in a rowboat on the ocean. You're on the water in both of these, but one you'd like to get somewhere, but you don't know where to go, and the other one uh, you're just catching some rays, chilling out. Okay. I'll let you I'll let you pick which is which. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I love that. So languishing and flourishing are they opposites? They are opposites. So uh, flourishing is like the highest state of well-being, whereas languishing is like the absence of well-being. And, and, and the key here is how to get out of the languishing state. And this is where he talks about something that, Tim, I know you love. He says the key to get out of languishing is flow. You got to tap into flow. And he said it can happen. It can be yeah. as simple as, you know, I'm into a show on Netflix, I'm, I'm invested in the characters and now I'm kind of like feeling it. I'm thinking through like what could happen. Whereas, you know, if you're languishing and that's your life right now is like Netflix, if you actually connect with the show and you can dedicate your time to watching it, you can enter a flow state yeah. through what you thought was vegging out. Uh, obviously we'd like for people to reach a higher level of flow, like where they're, in, <laughs> where they're in their, they're in their work and they're getting creative and they're opened up to all these possibilities. But he's thinking, Adam's thinking like lowest common denominator here. Where can I meet you where you currently are and help you get out of that to where you want to be? Yeah. Well, how about this, you know, to tie it with collective effervescence. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if you find somebody who's hooked on the same, who's, binging the same show that you're watching in, in your flow state, there's a ton of collective effervescence that goes on when you start comparing notes and your thoughts about that's true. the plot yeah. line and the characters and all those things. So, yeah. Languishing people are not thing. really paying any attention to it. So, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're in a better spot. Yeah. I got to tell you, I want to tell you guys this real quick. Um, we're not together. We've been doing this entire thing, yeah. this entire podcast, the entire time in three separate locations. Even though you two are in the same city, you've never once been together. We've That's always true. done this separately. But today, just talking about the idea of being together, just talking about how it feels to be together, I can feel my, I can feel a physical and emotional reaction that is different from every other time we've, we've had these conversations. I feel like I'm with you guys and it feels really, really good. I don't yeah. know how to explain it. I think just talking naming it, saying, Languishing is a thing. Collective effervescence is a thing. Flourishing is a thing. Flow is a thing. Naming those has given a sense of reality, brought that up, brought it up inside of me. And I am, I am loving talking to you guys today. And I feel like this, we've definitely had a stream of consciousness conversation today, more yeah. so than ever. Sure. But I think it's because we're in a flow state. I think it's because we feel like we're together, hanging out and talking. And I love it. Yeah, it's a great observation, Henry. It is. I feel yeah. the same thing. I actually thought you were going to say um, that throughout the KL recordings, we had somehow touched some collective effervescence virtually, which I think we have, but I will agree today is heightened. And I think it's the intentionality of like focusing on that topic and thinking about it and realizing how it's touching us very interesting yeah that's real good so the return to normalcy in the united states or or something like that is a time to rethink our understanding of mental health and well-being we should think of flourishing less as personal euphoria and more as collective effervescence 
The changes imposed on our social connectivity by the pandemic forced us to be creative and find new ways to come together. I mean, you think about rooftop, musical performances, drive-by birthday celebrations, and then of course, the virtual workplace. But there's a lot to consider in the discussion about remote work. The emotional intensity of gathering in groups, it can be considered both an asset and a burden. Personal relationships might generate solidarity and sustain commitment, but at the same time, those interpersonal interactions can also be emotionally intense. And if they're left unmanaged, they can lead to organizational demise. On the other hand, and outweighing the occasional interpersonal conflict, workplace meetings, events, and collaboration can produce collective emotions that are critical to maintaining our team's culture and health. Collective effervescence generates a social glue that is otherwise in an increasingly short supply. As leaders, we must understand that there's tremendous power in togetherness and that communal experience is good for our teams. Good luck out there. If you're missing the joy of collective effervescence, keep your head up. While virtual work isn't a like-for-like replacement, it can keep you connected. Most importantly though, be in tune with your own needs for social engagements and fulfill those needs when you can. Thanks for listening. For more KL podcasts, visit kindleadershipproject.com. Follow us on LinkedIn or find us on your favorite streaming service. This podcast is an expression of the views of Kind Leadership and its team. We're always open for discussion, so find us on social media and give us your thoughts.